All right, take your Bibles out, turn to the book. Well, just anywhere, we'll be getting there shortly. <laughs> turn to the book of Joel, chapter 2. We're going to be in Joel, we're going to be in Acts, we're going to be all over the place. Got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. See, we're, we're, we're pointing to the uh, ultimate day of the Lord. We've talked about the, the locust invasion and how he was referring to that and uses that throughout uh, this book uh, as an illustration of what's coming forward. Then he gives us the prophecy, and we just covered some of that uh, here this last week, about the, uh, the, the battle with Babylon, and they're coming in and invading and taking them out of the land, taking them captive and everything. But then if you'll remember the chart that we started out with when we looked at the dual prophecy, and actually it's almost a threefold prophecy, that we come to a pause kind of like the pause before the storm. Amen. <laughs> he pauses here and he gives us, and it's all in the same prophecy, but I don't think even Joel would have understood it. And have we possibly would not, had we not have the rest of scripture. But in verses 28 and 29, he gives us a pause. So let's go ahead and start reading there in verse number 28, chapter 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the, and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. As the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. This passage, the first two verses there that we read in verse 28 and 29, is the pause. He's come up to this point and he's just finished dealing with the, the invasion of Babylon. Then at the second part of this, towards verse 20, well, about 30 and 32, 30 to 32, he has another prophecy relating to the ultimate day of the Lord. And in the Hebrew Bible, you can see this because it's, divide, it's the divided of chapters. There's actually four chapters in the Hebrew Bible. And verses, I think it's 30 through, uh, I think it's verse number four or something like that, is actually chapter four or chapter three. And then, Chapter 4 then goes on from verse number 5 all the way down through. So it's divided up differently, and he, he has this pause separated. They recognize that. But in our Bibles, we just read right through it, and we don't see it. And we don't see it until we actually get to uh, the pause over to the book of Acts. 
If you'll turn in Acts chapter 2, we'll get back here in a little, little while. Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, uh, I, I want to I go ahead and read the passage here in a minute. But I want to make some comments first on that, the verse in, in verse number 28 in Joel. And you'll see the difference uh, as we come into Acts chapter 2. It says, and you can follow out, start, start reading in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. I'm going to be reading in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. And you'll see that it is almost identical word for word. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward. Notice the difference? In Acts, it says in the last days. In Joel, it says afterward saith the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see vision and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days my spirit and they shall prophesy. Notice that's not in, in Joel, that last phrase there. Peter has added to this and said, and they shall prophesy. But he goes on and says, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Back in the book of Joel, he talks about uh, the phrase afterward. Afterward, What is Joel talking about when he says it shall come to pass afterward? Remember, he's told Judah that they must repent. He says, if you don't repent, this is what God's going to do. If you do repent, and we talked about what he said he was going to do, how he would bless them and, uh, and all of that. But he says, afterward, after they had turned from God and refused to repent. Now, they may have repented for some few months. But they went right back to their old ways and they refused to repent. And so Joel says, after they turned from God and refused to repent, after they had been taken into captivity... After God brought them back out of captivity and blessed them, after they again turned from God. He, he, this phrase afterward is, is very specific in this passage here. Then he comes to this point and he talks about a prophecy and many people say that this is prophecy fulfilled. And other people say it has nothing to do with it. But I, I'm here to tell you what, whatever word you used, it's not actually fulfilled, but it is a partial fulfillment. This is the beginning of the rest of his prophecy from now until the Battle of Armageddon. He starts it out here. He says that this is what's going to happen, and this is why I say this. Later on, we'll talk about this. He said, Peter says, this is that. 
And he said, this is the prophecy that Joel was talking about. All of it is not fulfilled here, only part of it. So it's a partial fulfillment. But it definitely, because Peter is speaking under the inspiration of God, and he said, this is that that the prophet Joel talked about. And he's definitely talking about the Holy Spirit and the pouring out of his spirit here. So what he's talking about here is is a partial fulfillment. This begins those last days. So we are, I believe, in these latter days, these last days. This is a new, it's a distinctive manifestation of the day of the Lord. Peter understood this phrase afterward in an eschatological thought. He's thinking of it. Peter says, yes, this is happening, but there's more to come in the future. And that's why he quotes the entire thing. Now, in verse number 16 in the book of Acts, chapter 2, he says, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. I personally believe that both Joel and Peter were speaking of a dual prophecy. Joel, when he was proclaiming the prophecy, probably didn't understand it was a dual. He probably thought this was all about Babylon. That's what he would have had in his mind. But Peter, as he reviews and restates the prophecy from Joel understands what has happened in Babylon, but now Peter is also looking now and in the future, understanding it is a dual prophecy. Now, God said through Peter that this is that, but there's two parts to this. There's the first part, the part of the spirit, and then there's the second part that's still future. Uh, in verse number, uh, verse number, where am I at here? Wrong chapter. Verse number 20 said, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. Notice he says before that's going to happen before tribulation, Armageddon, all of that is, is involved in this. In the tribulation, the spirit, if you understand this, during the tribulation, the spirit of God is poured out again. And he's poured out to the Jewish nation. As they come to realize that he, Jesus, is that Messiah. As they believe in Jesus, And he indwells them and protects them during that tribulation period. They will have the power of God that is poured out upon them. Zechariah talks about that in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. He says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. 
in the tribulation period, Israel will turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as their Savior and King. Notice the Spirit is poured out. When was the Holy Spirit poured out? You go all the way through the Old Testament, it did not happen. This did not happen in the Babylonian captivity. When they were being taken out while they were in captivity and did not happen after they came back out of captivity. So this, this is not talking about Babylon or the Babylonian captivity when the spirit is poured out. Now, no doubt Joel was thinking this would happen then in the Babylonian captivity, but it did not. And Peter recognizes this is that that's happening right now. The outpouring of, of, of the Holy Spirit was on that day of Pentecost. Notice, it says it'll be upon all flesh, not just the Jewish nation, but on all flesh. And here at Pentecost, as the Spirit of God is given and his purpose was to pour it out upon all flesh, and that's why even at the beginning, they did not understand and would preach the gospel to the Jews only. But yet later on, as, as they go up to Antioch and they're preaching to these people here, Gentiles start getting saved. God said, my spirit will be poured out upon who? All flesh. Totally unheard of. Everything that was in focus in the minds of the Jews, in the minds of the prophets, in the minds of the apostles was only to the Jews. And that's why they preached the gospel only to the Jews and not to the Gentiles. But God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, Jews and Gentiles, indwelling every believer from that point on. God was going to call out a people called the church, us. Can you imagine how much God loves us? He could have said only to the Jew. But he said to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to us. It was absolutely unheard of. And so many people get hung up on Little, little words or little phrases within this prophecy. And they miss what he was trying to get across. The differences, the differences of nationality, all flesh, Jews and Gentiles, of all ages, young and old. You didn't have that in the Old Testament. Only the old guys, only the certain group was the ones that God seemed to use in the Old Testament. The gender, he talks about sons and daughters. It, it's both women and men. In the Old Testament, women did nothing. Not in the temple. Not in the worship. It was all the men. In position, he says, servants and handmaidens. No one would ever have thought that a servant or a handmaid could be used of God. 
And I think that's why God used that little handmaid to get the, God, get the word that, hey, if you go down, there's a prophet in Israel that will be able to heal you. God is doing something that he is, he's slowly revealing, but now he said, this is what I'm doing here. There's no barrier. There is no hindrance to anyone receiving and having the Holy Spirit of God at salvation. He only came on certain individuals in the Old Testament. And he only came on them for power. Samson, yes, he was on him for power. What about his parents? What about the other people around? None. God selected individuals in the Old Testament to use them and have the Holy Spirit come on them for power. But now, he says, when I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, all the other things are going to change. All the social things, the nationalities, the gender, the age, the position, all of that. God says, I'm going to start my church and send my Holy Spirit to indwell men, not just come on them for power. All flesh, all nations, all tribes, Jews and Gentile, poor, rich, bond, free. You see that repeated again in the New Testament by Paul. The Spirit would convict all flesh of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He was going to erase all the social distinctions of the ancient world, the gender, and all of that. Bond or free, male or female. Now, no one would be left out then. No one would be left out. That's why God says, whosoever will may come for many years he, he, even after I was saved I did not understand a lot about salvation I thought that they were saved one way in the Old Testament saved a different way in the New Testament I thought they kept the law and all that no no everybody's been saved the same way ever since the beginning and they will be until the end they're all saved by the grace of almighty God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ period and I couldn't get it in my mind, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? It just, it just didn't make sense to me until I was reading, studying for a course uh, that I was teaching down in, in West Coast Baptist College. And the author, really, I had to look these definitions and stuff up. I, I couldn't figure it out. What, what was going on here? You have the, uh, the first slide there. Uh, the first map type thing. God was going to change it all. In the Old Testament, he dealt with man in the Old Testament, centripedal. The word centripedal means inward or to come in. If you see Israel, they're right in the center. You, you had the, the, the highways, the main highways went right through the center of Israel. To get up to north, you had to go through Israel. To go down south to Egypt, you had to go through Israel. God placed him in a specific point in that land. 
Then you had the law. There was no other law like that. And God said, as people come through Israel, they're going to see that there is a law like no other nation has, which tells me the law was not given to all those Gentiles, but to the Jew. So that they would know how to, to operate in that land. They had the temple. As they come through, Jerusalem was the only place that God would allow them to worship they had to go to the temple in Jerusalem and they would worship there. And man is seeing all this and they said, they'll come through and they'll say, there's no God like this. There's no law like this. There's no people like this. This is absolutely amazing. They were supposed to let or bring people to God by coming to and through Israel. But now in the New Testament, as we come to this point, now we have something different. Now he changes everything. Now, if you get that other slide there, it's centrifugal. Like a centrifuge. As you remember the old merry-go-round when you'd put that and start slinging kids out <laughs> into the graveyard. I mean into the parking lot. What did God do? He changed how he dealt with man. Now, instead of saying, everybody's got to come in, he said, no, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I don't want them just coming in. I want you going out. And so in the New Testament, he changed this to go into all the world. Now we have the promise that we can rely on. Now we have the gospel that we go out and preach. Their gospel was come to the law. Fulfill the law. But God said, no, we're, it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now we have the church. Not You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can worship right here in Eaton in the church. You can go, out, go to Kentucky, believe it or not, and they can worship in a church there. And California's got some good churches too, by the way. And Spain and Italy and Africa... There are churches all over the world. They don't have to come to one central point. It's centrifugal now. We're going out. And instead of having just a few touched by the Spirit, now every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Why? For power that we might go out and be witnesses unto him. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, centrifugal, going out. Now we need to talk a little bit about doctrine. There's different things that come up when you're talking about this, this passage back here in, uh, in Acts or in, in Joel. And try to clear up, I hope I don't make it muddy, but I hope I clear up some, some doctrine issues here. First of all, prophecy. He said they're going to be prophesying. Now, understand something. Prophecy is not just foretelling the future. Prophecy is in four different stages, actually. We usually only think of two, but it's actually in four different stages or, or different aspects. One is prediction, foretelling the future. The second one is foretelling. We call that preaching. That's what I'm doing. I'm foretelling you what the Word of God has to say. 
That's what the preacher does on Sunday. He foretells. He's not telling you the future. He's telling you what God said and helping understand it. Then there's proclamation, or excuse me, the edification. As you edify one another through that prophecy. And then number four is the prayer, praise, and song. You say, well, where'd that come in? You ever read the Psalms? Most of that is not foretelling. Much of it is not forthtelling. Most of it is prayer, praise, and song through David, the prophet of God. But we throw that out because that's not exciting and that, that's not what we want to focus on. No, you need to focus on the whole thing or you'll, you'll mess things up when you try to interpret these things. Now, sons and daughters, he says, will prophesy. In the Old Testament, the term son, son here is an infant. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's not like a young man that's over in our, in our teen class. This is a small, this is a child. And, and, and he said sons and daughters. Not, they weren't allowed to be prophets in the Old Testament. Oh, you say, well, Jeremiah, he was called from his mother's womb. Yes, he was. But if you'll notice, he never prophesied or nothing. He's recorded about his prophecy until much later on after he grows up. Why about Samuel? Samuel was a prophet of God. Yes, he was. But you'll notice when he was a young boy and he was with Eli, he never did any prophesying. It wasn't until much later on that he's ever even considered to be a prophet. Not while they were young. And we'll talk about some of this other here in just, just a moment. I personally believe that when he's talking about this, he's talking about both the sons and the daughters. A, a young child can receive the Spirit. What's he been talking about? He said, Jew or Gentile, bond or free, uh, servant, doesn't make any difference, male, female, old, young. You get the context of what he's saying here. So these young people are going to receive the Spirit as well. The gifts of the Spirit are included, not just the, the gift of prophecy, foretelling. I believe he's speaking both of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Spirit of God would bring, his spiritual gifts. Now remember something. Always remember this. God never contradicts himself. Okay? Say it with me. God never contradicts himself. Never. That's why if somebody, if the Bible says it, it's wrong to divorce and somebody comes to me and says, God wants to lead me to divorce, I know it's not God. Why? He never contradicts his word. Ever. Now, prophecy is a gift. Right? The gift of prophecy. Remember in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Go ahead and turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You get there before I do. Start with that me. 1 Corinthians 14. The context of 1 Corinthians 14 
is the church. How many of you have heard of prayer language? Maybe your neighbor, somebody, grandma, somebody like that, talking about prayer language. And they say, well, you know, when they're home or when they're getting together with the, some of the girls or some of the guys and they'll, they'll speak in tongues and prayer language, stuff like this. Wrong. Tongues were a gift. A gift was given, these gifts were given to the church. Say, why do you say that? Look in verse number five. He said, I would that you all spake in tongues, but rather that you prophesied, for he that is, is greater than he that prophesieth than he that speaketh the tongues, except he interpret that what? That the church may receive edifying. Okay, it's for the church. What's the purpose? That the church would be edified, verse number 12. He said, even so ye, for as much as your zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the what? Edifying of the church. Look at verse 19. He said, yet in the what? Church. Look at verse 23. He said, if therefore the whole what? Church be come together. Look at verse 33. He said, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all what? churches. Verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches. First, not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. It also saith the law, verse 35, and if they'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the what? Church. You get the idea of what he's saying? That whole chapter has to do with the church. These spiritual gifts are not given for individual use. They are given for the edifying of the church. Okay? Say, why are you saying that? Because people will run back to this passage in Acts and passage in Joel and say, oh, it's okay uh, if we have women pastors, if we have women preachers, because they're prophesying. God's going to have them out there preaching. That's not what he's saying at all. Now, there's a lot of different rules, and we won't go into all these. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, he says, for there, there's only two or three at any service, and the context here, the church, but he's talking about prophesying, and he's talking about speaking in tongues. You go to meetings, or the, I hope you don't, but if you did, and you got all kinds of people all over the place speaking in tongues all at once. He says, wrong. The rule is that only two are at the most three in any service. And I asked one of the Pentecost pastors, okay, uh, who gave the rest of these the gift of tongues? He said, I don't know. I said, well, if it's not God, who is it? He couldn't answer me. I said, you're letting things go on in your church and you don't have an answer for it? I said, you got a serious problem. He said in, in, in verse 31 that only one at a time. No, no, no time are you supposed to have more than one person speaking in tongues or prophesying. Only one at a time. Why? Because it causes confusion otherwise. And God's not the author of confusion. So when you've got all these people speaking all at once, you know it's not of God. Get out the door. Because you've got a mess on your hands. Prophets are in complete control, verse number 32. 
You, you see these people and they're falling down. Now, if I fall off of here, I'm going to look like a fool, but I hurt my leg the other day and I might fall down, but that's okay. That's, that's a physical problem. These people have no control. They're shaking and they're falling down and they're, they're well, I just had to do this. Well, well why you do this? Well, I just, I just had to. No. The spirit of the prophets is in control of the prophet, not the other way around. Now, again, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 11 to 14, it says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Now remember, does God say two different things? No. He says the same thing all the way through the scriptures. He says, I, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed in Eve. What's the principle here? He says it's the principle of authority, the principle of roles. God established roles at the fall. When he cursed man and he cursed Adam and cursed Eve. That was part of Eve's curse, that she would have to submit herself to the man. And that's why she is not supposed to teach the man. The man is supposed to teach the church, or teach the, 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 the wife. Now, watch this. Obviously, God does not say that a woman cannot talk or fellowship in the church. That's not what he was talking about at all. He says, I'm, they're usurping authority. For a woman to preach when men are present, that would be the authority. Right now, pastor has given me the authority to preach tonight. Now, he's the ultimate authority, but he's given me that authority. And that's why when somebody gives me that authority and I get in a pulpit, I, I take control. Why? Because God gave me that authority, that right. So if I'm a woman and I'm preaching to you folks and all you men are out here, who's got the authority? Me. And God said, I'm not to usurp authority over the man as a woman. So when women are not there, men can teach other, or ladies can teach other ladies. Uh, they always go back to different ones. And we're going to cover these very fast here. Uh, women that are called prophets in the Old Testament. So you can get a little handle on, uh, they'll give you all kinds of reasons, but they always go back to the Old Testament to try to find their, their, their proof text. The women are called prophets, but I want you to watch one verse. Now remember, God never says two different things. He always says the same thing, right? He never contradicts himself, Right? Shake your head, bob it up, poke your husband or something, wake him up. This is so important. Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 12 is a rebuke to Israel. Okay? They were away from God, not doing what God said, and God rebukes them through Isaiah. And he says, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. O oh, my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. 
I don't care what woman you put up for the office of the President of the United States, I'm voting against her. Why? Because God said that that's destroying a country. That's destroying a people. Doesn't make, didn't mean she's not intelligent. Doesn't mean that she's not, not just, just smarter than anything I'd ever be. But there's the, the thing of roles and authority. And God rebuked his people, Israel, for allowing women to get in those places of authority. Now, when God was not pleased with that, that should not please us as well. So they'll go back to Deborah. And Deborah in Judges chapter 4 and verse 4, this was the days, now listen, when every man did that which was right according to the word of God. Is that what it said? No. They did what was right in their own eyes. And if you follow through the judges, it said God appointed this judge and God appointed this judge. But then you come down to Deborah and Deborah simply said, and Deborah judged. Deborah usurped authority that was not given to her by God. She was a self-proclaimed judge. And in verse number 9, what she prophesied was wrong. She'd have been a false prophet. She said, hey, you're not, he told the general, you're not going to be recognized for this when, when a woman is, is defeating, and, defeating the, the enemy in battle. But you go to Hebrews chapter 11, and it doesn't say jail, the woman that killed Sisera. And it does not say Deborah, but it gives the general's name. God didn't recognize either one of them. God recognized the man that was supposed to be in charge. When they're doing things that was right in their own eyes instead of what was right in the eyes of God, God said, you're going to have some real problems. Nadiah, ever heard of her? In Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 14, she is a false prophetess. What she prophesied was false. Huldah, Huldah in 2 Kings chapter 22 and verse 14, during Huldah's time, Israel was so far away from God, they had lost the word of God. Lost it. And they, there, was, there was so many other, there was other prophets. Jeremiah was one of the prophets at that time. But instead of going to Jeremiah, they go to the woman. Just because somebody seeks out the woman does not mean they're right. They found the word of God later, cleaned out the temple, and... They were totally away from God, but, but God then later on, as they used bad judgment, God through the prophets rebuked them and trying to get them back to the word of God. Miriam. Miriam was Aaron and Moses' sister. No doubt instructed and guided the Jewish women. But the only passage that indicates in any way that she did anything was that when they had come through the Red Sea, Miriam takes the ladies, not one man, the ladies out of the camp, and they are singing what was one of the prophet things? 
singing. That's why he says when you're filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Why? That's a part of prophecy. And so that's what Mary was doing, and that was only with the women because the women, for example, could not dance with the men. They were totally isolated from the men whenever there was dancing going on. It was taboo. There was a barrier there at the temple so that the men and women could not even worship together. So the teaching and everything would not be done. She would not be teaching the men and prophesying the men. So don't, don't let them take you back to these different places and use these things. And also you remember when, when, when Aaron and, and Miriam rebelled against Moses and tried to usurp authority over Moses. What happened to Miriam? Huh? Leprosy. leprosy. God smote her with leprosy. What happened to Aaron? Nothing. Why? Aaron was in authority. Miriam was not. All kinds of things. If you think these things through, Priscilla, Godly lady in Acts 18, verse 26, in the New Testament, was a wife of, a, of her husband, Aquila. And, and they said that they took this fellow, Apollo, and brought him in the house and taught him the word of God. Now, wait a minute. I, I've discipled some of y'all. Who was with me when I discipled you? My wife. Who taught you? Just be, and they, they come to these passages and say, well, she taught, doesn't say anything like that. You have to force the scripture to say something it does not say. Phoebe in Romans 12, chapter 16, another godly woman in the New Testament. She was just a hospitable servant of the Lord. And they try to say that she was a pastor, that she was all these different things and prophesying. No indication whatsoever. The daughters of Philip. Whoa, they were prophetesses. They were much in song, according to many of the, 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 the writers and things. They, they could have been praising and, and things of this nature. Doesn't mean they were usurping authority over the men. Even when they were there and, and, and Paul is in their house, God did not tell those two girls to get up and prophesy his message to them. He sent Agabus, another prophet, to come way down and come and prophesy to him. Why didn't these girls do it? Because that's not their job. They're not doing what people are saying they're doing. Now, does that put down women? Not one bit. Not one bit. But that's simply the role. My wife is much more intelligent in many areas than I am. But I'm the husband. And I'm the leader in our home. And I must take that responsibility. So... All these things, God never contradicts himself. If he says something in Kings, it's wrong for a woman to be a leader in the country. And he says it's, it's, it's wrong to be speaking in church as far as prophesying and speaking in tongues. And it's wrong to usurp authority. Over the, 
Don't you think that when he's talking about these, these young the boys and, and daughters, that he's not talking about preaching and becoming pastors? He's giving the illustration that the Spirit of God is coming to everyone that believes, not just to a certain group or certain elite or a certain age bracket and has to be a male in the Old Testament like it was. Joel and Luke are writing about a fulfillment, not encouraging us to disobey God. So don't let them use these passages to do that. Now, back to Joel and Acts. Understand this. No created being, no angel, no archangel can dwell in the soul of man. Only the omnipresent spirit of God could do that. And that's why when he poured out his flesh or poured out his spirit upon all flesh and he says, whether you're a boy or a daughter, whether you're, you're a plumber, whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a servant, a slave, whether you're whatever it is, old, young, he said the spirit of God is free to all people. In verse number 27, Joel said, they would know God was in the midst of Israel. Now they would know God dwells with them in the heart of man. As people get saved, so many times as we, we go into a village and preach the gospel and somebody gets saved and, and over a period of time, we have the leadership of the, of the village come and say, I don't know what you did, but whatever it is, keep doing it because we used to arrest this guy every week. And we haven't had a bit of problem out of him since, he, since you guys started talking to him. Well, he got saved. It changes men when God dwells in the heart. Listen to Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. The love of God which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given us. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know you not that ye are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Is the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Romans 8, 9 and 10. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that tells me when I'm wrong. Because I know he's right there. I know he lives in me. I know he dwells in me. And he loves me. Joel was prophesying about the spirit and his relationship to Pentecost and in the tribulation when he again pours out his spirit upon his people, Israel. The church initially, and then he culminates it with the nation of Israel. The spirit is given to us to be witnesses. How are we doing? This was, this was a magnificent thing that God has done. He didn't do it to Israel. He didn't do it in all of those thousands of years. He didn't do it with Israel. He didn't do it with any other tribe. But he did it 
for you and me. He says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. The purpose of Joel's prophecy, the purpose of Peter to re, re, reiterate and say this is that that Joel was speaking of was that God would give you and me that Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses for him. Not so we can come and have a good time. Not so we can just, you know, say, well, I got mine. I got fire escape. I got my four no more. No, no. The very purpose of all this prophecy and all of this, God wants us to know that we are to be witnesses for him. Are you a witness? Do you have anybody in mind that you're wanting to witness to this week? That you have witnessed to, that you're praying for? That you've even tried to witness? The Holy Spirit is not there to build you up. The Holy Spirit is here to build the church up. And when people get saved, they are baptized into the body of Christ, which is the church. How we doing? It's Old Testament, reiterated in the New Testament, lived out today in our lives, if we'll let it. Father in heaven, have your way. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the, the church that you came to establish and that we're part of that. And you give us your word that we can understand and be challenged. I pray, God, that you would take these things. And, Lord, that you would help us to realize what you're doing and what you have done in our lives and, and what you're trying to do. Lord, help us to win people to Christ so they don't have to go through all the tribulation and torment and all the things that are going to come. Help us. To let the Holy Spirit of God work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet just quickly? How you doing? Those of you there and listening out there in Never Never Land or whatever it is, online, how you doing? You ought to be in the house of God. Some of you can't, I know. Some of you can. How are we doing in our soul winning? Are we letting the Spirit of God do the work that he wants to do in our lives? Will we let the prophecy of Joel speak to our hearts? Prophecy from Peter. The rest of it we'll talk about, the rest of his prophecy we'll talk about starting next week. But how are we doing today? If God spoke into your heart, as the pianist just begins to play, just come. Just, just kneel down at these chairs at the front. Say, God, help me. I've not been a witness. I've not told anybody about Jesus. I've been living my life. I've been running through the motions and everything. And yeah, people know I'm a Christian, but I've not witnessed to anybody. 
gave these prophecies to Judah so that they would repent. They didn't. God did exactly what he promised. He took them into captivity, brought them back and blessed them. And then they went away from him again. Would you come? Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your word. I pray, Father, that you'd finish the invitation in each one of our hearts. We know what you're speaking to us about. Pray, Father, that you'd help us to draw close to you and to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Joel.